Hi besties, uh, welcome back to my podcast, or hello if you're new, I'm Mary, this is my podcast, that was weird, the podcast called Life Gets Weird, there's a whole lot of weirdness, okay, moving on swiftly, um, let's get into our weekly catch-up update situation, so, since the last episode, <laughs> I've had quite the week, and this is really weird recording the update or like the life update part of this podcast now that things are kind of going back to normal because before my weekly updates would be like oh I went on a run today oh I found a new coffee shop just you know lockdown things like things that we could do in lockdown or things that were socially distanced you know life was different life still is different but it was a lot more different during the lockdown restrictions and my weekly update this week is I went to a concert um it's been a while I genuinely think the last concert I went to prior to this was Lovebox Festival two summers ago um, is that, I don't know if that's true actually, but I'm gonna say it was like the summer before the pandemic and I was very nervous about going to a concert. I went to see Young Blood, and I got very, very drunk, like ridiculously drunk. Someone asked me, am I not ashamed of myself? Absolutely not. Why the fuck would I? I'm 22. Like, okay. My dad might have had to have a sit-down conversation with me whilst I was drunk saying, Mary, you cannot sleep in the bath tonight, get into bed. I'm not ashamed. Oh my God, it's a funny story to tell. But yeah, I went to see Youngblood with two of my friends and here's where the night went wrong, okay? So the sheer fact that I was already very drunk before we got into the venue should have been the first red flag, but no, the incident occurred. (laughs) The incident, not the incident, but... The, f- the red flags were appearing before that point. I just chose to have a good time and ignore it. So two of the three of us are on sertraline. And the two of us on sertraline were drinking wine. That Yeah, yeah, not a good combo. If you don't know, alcohol and sertraline are not the best of friends. They're not the best of friends. I used to be someone who could drink so much and still go home, like, absolutely fine. That is not the case anymore. I will have one double vodka soda on the floor. On the fucking floor. Also, yeah, that's another weird thing I did on the weekend. Um, When I went to the Young Blood concert, before I started drinking wine, I ordered a double vodka soda, and that was, like, my drink of choice when I was 17. And, oh, it was just weird. Like, I felt weird, but I just felt panicked because... Um, I'd never been to this pub before and I couldn't actually see everything that they had available. So I was like, okay, a double vodka soda is a safe bet. So I got that. And actually, <laughs> actually, that wasn't even my first drink of the evening. I went to meet my friend at hers and I always do this thing, like whenever I'm going out with someone or a group of people, whoever I'm meeting before everyone else... I'll bring them an alcoholic beverage so we can, like, drink together. And, you know, I know someone out there is like, oh, my God, she's an alcoholic. No, I'm not. I just I just don't understand why you would casually drink. You know, like, if I'm drinking, I'm like, okay, I want to at least be tipsy because that's just a waste of money. Like, but anyways, yeah, so I turned up at my friend's house with a Pim's 
Um, because I know she likes Pims, so I turned up with Pims. So we were drinking our Pims, then we got to Kentish Town. And whilst we were waiting for our friend, we ordered wine. I got my double vodka soda, and then we just kept drinking wine. And oh my god. And I know that I'm drunk when I just like disappear in the middle of nights. And I truthfully do not remember this night. Like after maybe the second song, I have no recollection. I don't know how I got home. I honestly I don't I don't know anything. Um but I woke up in the morning and I had a text on my phone from one of my friends who I was with at the concert and she was like, come back. So I was actually thinking, where the hell, what? Like, where the hell was I for people to be texting me saying, come back? Um, I also woke up in the morning and looked at my text to my other friend that I was with and I literally sent her a video of me walking down Oxford Street, like after I left her. Um, and I am not making any sense. Like that is honestly the most embarrassing video I've ever seen of myself. That's not true. There's a video of me that night in the concert. That's pretty embarrassing. But yeah, that was um, the fun part of my week. Well, no, I mean, not that the next thing isn't fun, but you know, that was wild Mary coming out. And then I celebrated two years at Soul Cycle, which is fun and fresh. I cannot believe that I have been riding there for two years. It, I don't know, it kind of feels like I've been riding there for less than two years, but also longer. But I remember when I first started going and everyone was like, oh, like she's just got an obsessive personality. She'll get over it soon. Oopsie, sorry besties, it's been two years. Um. And what else have I... I honestly don't know what else I've done. Oh, I <laughs> I went to another concert. Um, but my friends and I did not actually make it into the concert. Because I think security had, like, a personal vendetta against us. Because the minute my friend walked up, they were like, no, you're not coming in. Go get coffee. Walk around the block. You're too drunk. So, obviously we didn't go and get coffee. It was like 8 p.m. We just went to get more gin and tonics. And then we came back and they were like, no, absolutely not. Your friend is way too drunk. So then we just continued drinking and it was like a really wholesome night actually. And yeah, I actually think I would have preferred the night that we had over going to the concert. Um, And we just sat in a pub till closing, got in an Uber home together. It was cute. It was real fucking cute. I had a great time. And then, and then the anxiety kicks in, you know, like, I won't lie to you, after the Young Blood concert, I, I had a horrible hangover, like, horrible, horrible, horrible hangover, woke up, popped an antidepressant, because I was like, no way in fuck am I dealing with anxiety right now, um, went back to bed, woke up, did an hour soul cycle class, drank all the coffee, and I was just like, holy shit, like, I'm, I'm getting old. I am, yep, I'm aging. I'm aging because 16-year-old me would just be able to power through. And I, I was not. I went straight back to bed. Um, And then the other day, actually, when we didn't get into the concert, I kind of woke up a bit rough, but wasn't hungover. But after that, my beautiful PMDD kicked in and I got so pissed because I was like I've just had such a wholesome weekend because this was in the space of two days like uh the Young Blood concert was on the Saturday and then the concert that we didn't get into was on the Sunday 
Um, and I was like, oh, wait, no, that might not be true. I th- no, okay, it was Friday and Sunday. What? Fuck it. I don't know when it was. But there was like three days in which this was all occurring. Um, and then after that, my PMDD kicked in and I was miserable. And I knew what it was. I knew that like it kind of was out of my control in that moment. And I was just going to have to feel shitty for a few days. And um, this was actually the first time, no, the second time on my antidepressants where I'm like, they are not anting the depression at all. And I just felt like absolute shit. And I haven't been able to sleep for the past few days. And so I literally look a mess. Um, And it's just like this weird feeling of like knowing that there are good people in your life and knowing that you have had fun moments and happy times so close to times where you just feel like shit. And I think it's really confusing when you're that self-aware that you know there are amazing things in your life, but you can't help the way you feel. I think it's just such a horrible feeling because you just feel ungrateful. And like, I, I'm not, I'm so grateful for those days I had. I'm so grateful for the people that I was with and the memories that we created, even if I can't remember most of them because I was drunk, but like, I'm so, so grateful for those people. And then I just like woke up a few days later and I was like, I have no one. And life is awful and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, fuck me. Like, it's such a weird paradox in your mind to be like, on the one hand, life is great. On the other hand, no, it's fucking not. And this is why I always talk about things coming in waves and everything being temporary, because it truly is like that. Like, the happy days were amazing. They were, but they don't last forever. Each day is 24 hours. Like, nothing can last forever but then you have to keep that mentality when you have bad days and you feel like it will never end and it's like this overwhelming feeling that you have absolutely no control over your own destiny and your own path and even though you may be self-aware enough to know that you do have good things in your life sometimes the sad part of your brain can just win the argument you know it can just win the argument and it's hard to remember that everything's temporary. It's hard to remember that happy moments come and go as the sad ones, but that's what I'm trying to remind myself of right now because it's a sticky situation and I hate feeling like a burden around people. I hate when people message me and then make plans that second and don't take no for an answer and I feel like I am just carrying this like gray cloud around me and I'm just going to make everybody else around me so fucking miserable. And it's like, oh, I don't know. I just, like someone asked me to meet them the other day to get coffee. Um, like before I went to my workout and I was like, like trying to come up with every excuse in the book to not go. Cause I was just like, oh my, like I am so fucking depressed right now. Like I don't even think I can hold a conversation and they just wouldn't take no for an answer. And I was just like, fuck. And I'm such a people pleaser. So I was like, okay, fine. And I just, it was so much effort to just try and be happy, you know? And I think, I think it's okay to feel like that. I feel like you should know that you're allowed to feel like 
putting on a fake version of yourself to appease everybody else is draining. Of course it's draining. You're having to pretend, you're having to put on a show for everybody else and you shouldn't feel bad for that. And this is me speaking to you and myself out loud and projecting, I guess. But you shouldn't feel bad for not wanting to be with people because you're not yourself. And I think that's something I struggle with a lot. And when I when I open up to people or, you know, we talk about life and different sad things, I guess, sometimes, I tend to find myself apologizing and being like, oh, no, 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 like, I'm too much and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like, I don't mean to be a burden. And, you know, I always seem to think, like, everyone has enough on their plate. They don't need me as well. And I'm slowly trying to learn that that's what friendship is, Mary. Friendship is having people to count on and having people who will listen to you and be there for you and comfort you. You are not a burden on your friends. But when you're used to feeling like a burden, that shit is hard to unpack. But anyway, that weekly update took a turn. Uh, Let's get into the podcast episode, the big chunk of it. So, as you can tell by the name of this week's episode, which is Staying Where You Are Is Comfortable, if you didn't read it, I don't know, not judging, sometimes I don't want to read things. Actually, forgot part of my weekly update, I'm sorry. Um, It has to do with reading, which is why my brain just clicked. But people always ask me, like, what books are you reading? What films are you watching? What movies? What films and movies are the same fucking thing. Uh, what TV shows, etc., etc. But more often than not, people ask what books I'm reading because I tend to not post about them as much because I don't know, no reason really. I just I post them sometimes, but not always. I'm currently reading like five books at once, which is never a good idea, and it's never a sign that I'm in a good place. So <laughs> yeah, but. I downloaded a few books and I'm not an ebook kind of gal, but I couldn't find many of these books in foils, which is where I get my books from. So I just thought, fuck it, I'll I'll download them, see what this is like. And do you know what? It's actually not that bad. I still do prefer having a physical book because I really like to annotate books when I read them. But yeah, it's actually not too bad having an ebook. So anyways, the first book I'm reading and thoroughly enjoying is called Beach Read by Emily Henry. And honestly, like I, when I got it, I thought this looks like a YA book, um, which was young adult. And there was this turning point in my brain a few years ago where I was like, YA fiction doesn't do it for me anymore. Like I'm an adult now. And I know that's so like shut up, but I was reading YA novels from like the age of 12. So that's how, like the mentality I associate with those books is not the mentality that I have now. And so for a while I was really trying to get into like sci-fi books and horror and thriller and psychological thrillers and things like that. Because I always kind of pictured that romance novels were childish, you know, like this, this whole happy ending thing just is so unrealistic. And if you've read Beach Read, then you know why that's so ironic, because the book is basically two people with complete different perceptions of 
happy endings and love and romance and I'm only halfway through so you know I cannot speak in facts but I am having such a good time reading this book and I I just love I love books where the two love interests are so polar opposite but so similar but in completely different ways like the fact that the contrast of hope and pessimism is there is just my favourite thing ever, especially when talking about love. And there are so... Actually, let me find some of the quotes in it that I've, like, highlighted on my phone because there is just... Oh, my God, there's so many parts of it where I'm like, I'm going to cry. Okay, so <laughs> this is on one of the first couple of pages. um, And the quote is... You didn't have much control over your life as a kid. So to avoid disappointment, you learned never to ask yourself what you truly wanted. And, oh, this is literally the first page. Yeah. And I remember reading that and thinking, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, this book is going to do a number on me. And honestly, I have highlighted maybe every other page because it's just so, so good. And it's so real. And I need to stop talking about this book because I sound like I'm actually doing my English literature A-level again. Um... But the next book that I'm reading is The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And I've seen so many people talk about this book and they've said that you shouldn't read it if you're not in the right space of mind. So I probably shouldn't be reading it, but it's it's really good. Like, it is really good. Even if you don't like self-help books or anything like that, this one's a bit different. It kind of, um, it kind of goes through it in a in a perspective that you don't have to take on as your own, if that makes sense. Like, you don't have to feel like the book is personally attacking you. I feel like there are a lot of self-help books where it calls you out. And sure, this book makes you reflect and it makes you realise that the way you hold trauma is different for everybody and this is the way it can affect you. And, and your body is a lot more powerful than we give it credit for, but it's not, like, aggressively calling you out, which I think is amazing because the topics that it deals with are really, really deep and really something that I think everybody needs to know about themselves. Um, and so, yeah, I would recommend that book 100%. The next book that I'm reading is called Cultish by Amanda Montel. And honestly, I'm truly fascinated by cults. Like, I really am fascinated by them. I have always wanted to understand the psychology behind why people stay. And this book called me the fuck out because it talks about soul cycle it talks about soul cycle being a cult and you know I always joke about it my dad always jokes about it even though I don't think he's joking anymore but you know we always say soul cycle is a cult it is it it is truly but you know no one's telling me to drink the Kool-Aid and um as long as it stays that way I I think I'll be fine I think I'll be safe um but this book just kind of looks at why people why people join cults and why people stay in cults and they quoted a soul cycle writer in the book who said that soul cycle feels like home to them it's more powerful than any church could have ever been and I, I obviously felt so seen by that because I always say that soul cycle is my home it's my safe space it feels more like a home to me than my actual home and um this book is like exploring how the use of like psychological words and things that trigger things in your brain that make you think about things in different ways and make you feel seen are the reasons why we stay in cults and it just explores different types of cults religious cults fitness cults 
internet cults. Like, just, it's so interesting to understand how the most basic of human needs, which I think is being accepted, feeling like you belong, um, can lead to people joining cults. I don't know, it's really cool. Um, and then the next book that I'm reading is called Moody Bitches, and it's basically a self-help book, I guess. I'm not that far into it, but it's just, like, big sister advice, I guess. I don't, I don't know, I don't have a big sister, but, like, I assume that's what big sister advice is. Talking about, like, sex, drugs, sleep, your body, the whole shebang. It's very interesting. It's written by a doctor, which I think is even more interesting. Um, and then in a similar vein, another book that I'm reading, sorry, yeah, I, I, I read self-help books at the same time and it doesn't really fuck with my brain. I can't read fiction at the same time. Like I can't read multiple fiction books at the same time, but yeah, self-help books, I don't really, it doesn't mess with me. And then cultish isn't fiction, it's non-fiction, so it doesn't get in the way, you know? Just in case someone's like, why is she reading so many books at the same time? Or how is she reading so many books at the same time? If it's fiction, I can't do it. But when it's nonfiction, I can do it. So yeah, next book is What My Mother and I Don't Talk About, 15 Writers Break the Silence. And I kind of flicked through this and it's like personal essays and personal stories from people. And I don't really know how to describe it. Um... I wouldn't really say it's self-help. It's just something that you read and you're kind of like, you either relate to it or you don't, or you sympathize or empathize, whatever. You know, like it either provokes emotion in you where you can feel why someone may feel that way or you relate to it. I don't think it's something that has no emotion attached to it at all. I just don't think it's completely relatable for everybody. Um which is obviously fine. Not all books are for everybody, especially personal essays. Um, but then the books that I have downloaded that I haven't started reading yet that I'm actually really excited to read are um, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. I feel like every single person I know in their early 20s is reading that right now. So I'm excited to read that. Um, Writers and Lovers by Lily King. I did read the first three chapters and it is fucking incredible already, but I put it on hold because I am reading Beach Read. Um, Malibu Rising and Daisy Jones in the Six and One True Loves, all by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I just know that I'm going to enjoy those books because the people who love Beach Read have told me that I will like those books. If I don't like those books, I'm going to be very pissed. And... And then I want to read Songs in Ursa Major. And then I want to read Why We Are Polarised, because I haven't read a political book in quite some time. And I am a politics student, so I should probably fix that. But anyway, let's get into the podcast. So, staying where you are is comfortable. Um, I've mentioned this before many times. There is comfort in things that you know. There is so much comfort in things that you know. But I think it's really important to remember that just because habits and lifestyles and patterns are familiar to you, it doesn't mean that they're beneficial to you. There are so many things that I do that I would say are habits that are not beneficial to me or my mental health. For example, I tend to isolate myself a lot when I don't want to tell people how I'm really feeling. 
And that's not a habit that benefits me. It's just a habit that I'm comfortable in. And it's a habit that I have to break because it doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve my friends, my family. But I stay there because it's so comfortable. It's got me this far. And I feel like that's something that also feels like a reminder that you should keep with these bad habits. If you're like, well, nothing bad has happened this far or well, it's got me this far, it's worked for this long. It's only worked because of your warped perception of it. You know, you have managed your life around it. Like I have managed my life around isolating people and going through these very socially distant periods in my life. They aren't beneficial, they don't work, but I've tricked myself into thinking that they do because I can change my own story, you know? Like I can warp my own story to make sense to me. And people do it all the time on an even bigger scale than that. They warp their own stories to make it make sense to them. And sometimes you have to take yourself out of that. You have to take yourself out of your current mindset, which is a fucking struggle. It's difficult. But that's what self-growth is. That's what healing is. That's what growing and evolving and changing is. It's taking yourself out of your own situation and realizing that you deserve better and you deserve better for yourself by unpacking the things that you think served you but actually don't. And I think that when you finally reach that point in your life where you realize that these familiar behaviors that keep you comfortable and keep you protected from having to change and actually deal with what's going on in your head. I think that when you finally unpack that, most people's first response is to completely disregard the human they were when they were in those comfortable habits. But I think what you really need to do is heal that person because that person will always be a part of you. They are the foundation for the person that you grow into. They are the foundation of the person that you evolve into. And so you can't just throw that person in a bin. You can't just say that that part of me didn't exist because it did. And it might not be your current story, but it's a part of the whole book. And you need to heal that part of yourself before you grow into the next stage. Otherwise, it's going to be a comfortable habit again because it's going to be something you fall back onto. It's going to be a rebound, a safety net. If you don't address the issue from the root, it comes back. I mean, I know absolutely nothing about gardening, but I assume if you don't fucking pull a plant out from the root, it can just grow back again, right? Same with bad habits. Same with these things that we've told ourselves we're going to keep doing because it's comfortable. Nobody wants change. I mean, there are circumstances where change is craved, you know, like moving to a different city or starting a new school, a new job, whatever the situation may be, there are very positive change in the world. But change on an internal level, I feel like not many people want that because you have spent so much time with yourself that it can be very confusing to try and understand why you think you have to change. Even that sentence in and of itself is a confusing wordy sentence. And now that sounds like that Grammarly advert. But you know what I mean? Like change is confusing and a lot of people are scared of change. Rightfully so. The fear of the unknown is, I think, the root of many problems in this world. And on a on a personal level rather than a wide scale societal level, 
fear of change can often keep you in places that you shouldn't be in anymore and you don't deserve to be in anymore. But why would you reach out? You know, like I, I see it from both ends. I truly do because I understand what it's like to be in that situation where you're like, well, why would I want to get any better? And some people don't get that. Like a lot of people who maybe don't suffer with mental health problems, they don't understand why you wouldn't want to get better, but know that it is understandable. If that's all you've known, why would you want to change it? And it's not self-hate. I don't think that it comes from a place of self-hatred. I think it's genuinely just not knowing what else is out there. And because you don't know what else is out there, you think, well, as long as this doesn't kill me, I'm going to stick with it, you know? And I mean, even when I went into antidepressants, I was so scared that I was going to lose who I was because I truly didn't know who I was without depression. And like, I'm still depressed and just not like sobbing all the time, but it's scary. It's really scary because you have to find new things about yourself and you learn so much about yourself. And sometimes you don't want to know those things. Sometimes you truly don't want to know different parts of yourself because it's fucking terrifying because you're the person that has to live with you. I think that's what it comes down to. You are the person that has to wake up with yourself and go to sleep with yourself every single day. And if opening these new doors and opening these new paths in your brain and in your world and in your life hold so many things that you don't know yet, you can just feel scared and and that's okay. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be scared to change and to grow, but know that you deserve it. Like you truly, truly deserve it because there are so many rituals that we get ourselves hooked onto to stay safe in our mind, even if they're not healthy habits and they're not healthy practices they are what feels safe to us and it's our form of escapism and it's the way that we protect ourselves from dealing with the real shit that's going on and coping mechanisms aren't always going on long runs and sitting in the ocean and going on picnics with your friends you know sometimes coping mechanisms can cause a lot more harm to you than you think they do but they're sold to us as things that keep us safe when we get scared. It's like we're protecting our inner child by forming these coping mechanisms. But sometimes they're actually just damaging the adult that you are in that moment. I sometimes feel like the idea of changing and evolving has become something that has been romanticized to a point where people now profit off it. And, you know, they make all these self-help guides that you can buy for like 60 pounds for a PDF that tells you that you have to work out every single day and you have to drink green tea every single morning. And if you're not into crystals, then you have to get into crystals and all this. And that's just not true. That's not true evolution of who you are. And I think that's what makes it even scarier, these pressures that we aren't doing it correctly. But honestly, change is never going to be the same for everybody. We all have different things about ourselves that we need to heal and that we need to evolve. And therefore there isn't one guidebook online that you can buy that's going to make you the best version of yourself. Because deep down, you know who that person is. Even if you can't see it right now, 
You have always known who the best version of yourself is. And so when you get scared of change and you get scared to do things that you've never done before, I think the best thing you have to do is remind yourself, what if it works out? Because we're so used to change being something that doesn't work out. It's something that's so terrifying that we either pull back and stay away from it, or we only remember the times that we didn't get what we thought we wanted. But also sometimes what you think you don't want is exactly what you need. So just remind yourself that it can work out. Change can work out and it can make you find the version of yourself that you've spent so long looking for. The version of yourself that got lost in the heat of life because life gets fucking hectic sometimes. And actually sometimes it's probably an understatement. I think that life is more hectic than it is calm and easy breezy. But just know that on the other side of change is so many opportunities and it's a chance. Maybe that should be the way that we start phrasing it. I'm going to take a chance on myself. I'm going to take a leap of faith for me. And you don't have to do what you think everybody else is doing. Like, I run a lot. I work out a lot. I can tell you right now, that's not going to fix everything. It's not going to fix everything. And for a really long time, I thought it would. Truthfully, I thought running 10 miles a day would fix every single problem I'd ever had in my life. Until I sat down and realized that the reason I got back into running so much and why for a while I had to take myself back out of it, it was because I was trying to physically run away from what was in my head. And you can't do that. You can't run away from what's going on in your brain. It's there 24 seven. It's like a hum, like a, a hum that won't silence. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes you can kind of ignore it, but it's always there. And, you know, it wasn't until the pandemic that I refound my love of running because it made me feel free, but not free in the sense that I was trying to run away from anything, free in the sense that I had that time to work through everything. And sometimes you just need to find the thing that helps you work through it. And I was saying earlier that sometimes habits aren't good for you. For a really long time, running wasn't good for me. I was trying to run away from something. But you can relearn habits in a healthy way. You can relearn things that make you feel safe if they're making you feel good. But they shouldn't be habits that reinforce the idea that you can just keep beating yourself up over things that you don't deserve to beat yourself up for. I don't know. It's a tricky one because no one has the exact same coping mechanism. Nobody has the exact same trauma. Nobody has the exact same life. And so, especially in the age of social media, we kind of look to everybody else to see how they're coping and how they're dealing. But that's none of our business. And the way you cope and the way that you change is nobody else's business. It's a journey with you and you only. Yes, it may affect other people. It might make people be more drawn to you. It may make people leave you, but it's nobody else's journey but your own. And remembering that you are the only person that you owe anything to is so, so important. 
And I was actually having this conversation yesterday with someone and she was reminding me that I need to know my worth. I need to remember how much I bring to the table and what that is worth. And we were talking about it in the sense of a brand deal, uh, a brand collaboration. Um, but she went on to talk about knowing like personal worth and in terms of friendships and relationships and things like that. And I think it's easy to forget your worth when for so long you have compared yourself to other people because you think that you should have the same results as them. And so you're no longer determining your self-worth in what you want. You're determining it and comparing it to what somebody else wants for themselves. And that's not always what you need. And it's not always what you actually want. And so it becomes this ongoing game of chasing things that never satisfy you. It's morphing yourself into different people because you're trying to please everybody else, which means that you never please yourself. You never you never reach a point where you are the person that you want to be because temporarily you become what everybody else wants of you. And that's why I think sometimes you have to be alone. You don't have to be isolated, but sometimes you have to be alone because you have to come to terms with what you want and who you are. And learning who you are is also kind of scary learning that sometimes the things that you thought you wanted in this world aren't actually what you want. I mean, my whole life, I thought I wanted to be a barrister. I thought that there would never be a moment in my life where that would change. And here we are. Here we are. I am halfway through a law degree and I realize I don't want to be a barrister. And that could change. It could change in a few years because I've changed. And at this moment in my life, that's not how I feel. I don't feel like I want to be a barrister. I don't feel like I really want to go into law. But I could get my degree and be like, oh, damn, actually, you know, 22-year-old me was just going through a completely different situation where she hadn't found this side of herself yet. But also, I could get to 25 and be like, fuck it, I want to be a Barry's instructor or I want to be a soul cycle instructor, which probably would never happen because... Speaking in front of people, absolutely not. But, you know, or I could be like, oh, I want to get back into acting or I don't know. You know, there are just so many avenues that I don't even know exist yet. And I feel like that's also exciting. But at the same time, it's scary because then it's the fear of the unknown. It's like, what if I don't know what I want to do at 25? What if I don't know what I want to do at 30, 40, 50, whatever? But I think that's life. And I am such a control freak. I love to know the answer to everything. I need a strict plan for everything. I am so type A. But I think that's the one thing you just have to let go of. You can't control how life pans out. For sure, you can create your own destiny but you can't control everything in life. And I think the minute that you realize that sometimes things come and go in waves, whether it's emotions, whether it's aspirations, whether it's friendships, those are things that you cherish when you have them, but also acknowledge that if they do ever go and if they do ever change, they are a fundamental part of the person that you're going to grow into, but you're going to do exactly that. You're going to grow and you're going to take all of those experiences with you and become the version of yourself that you always knew you could be. So, 
on that note, let's end the podcast here. Thanks for listening, babies. Um, have a great week. I still don't know how to end these podcast episodes, truthfully. But yeah, this one this one felt right for this current moment in time. Also, it's nearly my B-Day. No, it's not really. I mean, yeah, it's in three weeks, but I just got a new ring. Well, two new rings for my birthday. Got a new phone. Feeling like a brand new bitch. I don't know. I thought I'd update you because I think in the last episode, my phone hadn't arrived yet, but now I have a new phone. Um, and my new number hasn't come in yet, but I need it to arrive before my birthday so I can start 23 as someone with a new phone number that people who knew me when I was 16 no longer have access to. That's my, that's my birthday wish. Anyway, what the fuck was I talking about? Love you guys. Bye.